Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. Listen in on my chat with Albuquerque native Carlos Contreras to find out what makes the city's homegrown art scene tick. He's a two-time national champion poetry slam artist and is a member of the inaugural year of Kellogg's Community Leadership Network Fellowship. At the time of this recording, he was serving as Director of Marketing and Innovation for the City of Albuquerque. The occasion for our conversation was the 2019 Midwest Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit in Cincinnati, Ohio, where he taught the Introduction to Creative Placemaking session. A lot is, is new in Albuquerque, I think, you know, uh, it's actually always ever changing. And so I think like if something is not evolving, it's not growing. And uh, I think Albuquerque is, is running at a very high clip and evolving day by day. So there's a lot of, of creative engagement and community engagement uh, taking place and aiming to, to take hold in Albuquerque. I, in my post at the mayor's office, uh, steward the brand that is One Albuquerque and One Albuquerque as a brand uh, per Mayor Keller and his initiatives is aiming to do things like uh, help curb homelessness which is a real uh, issue we're confronting in Albuquerque. Uh, I think around the nation we're seeing some of those rates rise and percentages rise of folks that are either experiencing homelessness or on the edge of and so Albuquerque is is aiming to do a lot of things to serve those that need us most in our city, um, our homeless population. And a lot of that has to do with mental and behavioral health services, right? And, and combating and dealing with addiction in our community. So that's one big bucket of something that is, it's not necessarily new, but it's certainly a, a focus of this administration in a way that uh, new approaches to helping that situation are taking place. So we've established a thing called the Housing Fund in Albuquerque. Uh, the One Albuquerque Housing Fund is literally a fund hosted by Wells Fargo Bank in Albuquerque. And then, you know, there are platforms developed so that online and via your smartphone and an app, you can literally donate to housing vouchers for folks in need. Um, a housing voucher program run by our city department, the Family Community Services Department issues housing vouchers to individuals experiencing homelessness and housing vouchers are, are uh, more than short, short-term solutions so they're a little bit longer term whether that's for a rent or lease on an apartment or rent or lease of a home uh, for individuals or families in need uh, it looks at stabilizing a situation so you know 90 days or more six months or more what does that look like to house a family or an individual we really have uh, looked at statistics and studies and, and identified the reality that once housing is kind of taken out of the equation of how do I do X, Y, and Z every day, once a home is over somebody's head, uh, the thought of where am I going to eat, how do I secure gainful employment, um, childcare, things of those nature, those questions, albeit still in play, become a little bit easier uh, to approach when you're not thinking of where you're going to sleep at night. So uh, the housing fund is new in Albuquerque. When Albuquerque is as a brand for all the initiatives, um, providing opportunities before and after school, at school and through our school system for kids in Albuquerque is new. Again, the homelessness issue, also vacant properties, crime, and, and, and things of that nature and how they all play together. Um, public safety is a, is a focus of this administration. Uh, community policing is new to the city of Albuquerque in some ways. Uh, in the last, I guess, two to four years, to not misspeak, there's been some 
interaction with the DOJ and otherwise, and community policing has been something that our new leadership at, at, at the Albuquerque Police Department have taken on and made strides in, in improving the way our communities are policed. Um, public safety is something we're focused on, on on a daily basis. Figuring out what the roots of, like what the, 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 the root of crime is at, at the beginning stages, like the gateway crimes that lead to larger crime, right? Like how do you crack down on auto theft, so to speak, you know, as an example, uh, because stolen vehicles lead to crimes beyond that vehicle being stolen. Uh, so it becomes a gateway crime for, for other things that maybe are even worse than, than the theft of the vehicle itself. So public safety is and a focus on, isn't new to Albuquerque, but our approaches I would say are new. And then workforce development and job development, workforce solutions. Again, always things that municipalities deal with and, and it's the work of a municipality, but our economic development plan as a department and as an administration is the newest uh, that our city's seen in 12 years. So uh, a turn towards, and, and in the context of where we're at now with the Creative Placemaking Summit, a turn towards creative economy. Uh, small businesses, particularly owned by women and people of color, uh, looking at small businesses as things that are smaller than 50 employees, but more like one employee. And how do we add an employee to that one employee business, right? How do we grow our economy uh, by supporting and buying local? Our administration uh, has looked at City Hall as somebody that should lead by example. So we're identifying internally contracts that we've established with vendors that are providing a good service, a professional, a technical service. People in the municipal realm know those. There's, there's divisions between and spending levels and limits at different things you can contract for or procure as a, as a municipal entity. We're looking at those contracts to say, how do we break big ones up so that small vendors locally can take bites of those and, and win those contracts that might mean the difference of keeping your doors open or even growing your workforce? How do we look for things we've never looked for before? Because sometimes, you know, when you're fiscally responsible, when you're aiming to be fiscally responsible, you're looking at the best price. And sometimes the lowest price isn't the best price because maybe if the, the median price is the one that's down the street instead of, you know, states away, um, you're keeping a larger percentage of that dollar in, in your own community by spending a little bit more money locally. Um, that money, 70% of that dollar, give or take, is being spent locally when it's going back into your economy by way of the, the, the payroll that's being dubbed, doled out to the folks that are shipping you that good or service and then spending their money locally, right? So how do you, how do you, but how do you influence that? You lead by example. And so what's new in Albuquerque, I think, is you have an administration, a community hall of sorts that's aiming to look at how do we lead by example where we can? How do we ask for help from our community where it's appropriate and where we can? And how do we just all work together in a way to, to make a better city for the, the future of a city for our kids? How are you engaging the arts and creativity to address any one of those issues that you just mentioned? The homelessness, the crime, the uh, lack of access to mental health services. Yeah, I, I think, I think um, art and, and art has a place in all of those things, right? And I think we also at the city and, and through the Keller administration, I think are identifying stakeholders and community partners that have been doing that work for a really long time, right? I think that part of your capacity and power, or part of the capacity and power of municipal entities is, is in the recognition of the hard work already being done around them, 
right? Like the city recognizing folks that are doing a great job in the nonprofit realm, in the private sector, providing good services and, and otherwise. The service providers we contract at, at, with at a high rate at the city to do a number of things are doing a really good job. Um, sometimes our role um, and arts role, believe it or not, in a, through a marketing lens is to just shed light on that, right? <laughs> to, 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 to identify community partners and, and, and be grateful and thankful for those partnerships. And then to, to be thoughtful and strategic about how we either grow existing partnerships or, or where do we fill holes in, in creative and artistic ways that aren't always necessarily so cap, capital driven, so money driven. Is it, it's more... I think sometimes in my own opinion, and I think at, at times in the opinion of this administration, it's very valuable and, and useful to look at existing resources and seeing how they're being spent. Um, how time, money, effort, availability of people's time, money, effort is being expended. Like what, what, what does that look like? And, and where, where can you streamline? Where can you make more effective collaborative efforts at getting a job done? If, that, if those opportunities present themselves, capitalizing on those. So uh, I think arts, Art and creativity's role in, in that is is literally thinking outside the box, right? I think artists are super resilient. Not think I know I'm one, you know, and, and I think artists would agree. Like when po- posed with a with an obstacle or a challenge, it's it's an opportunity just the same. And so when you have artists in places and spaces that are that hold weight in decision making, then I think you you open yourself up to thinking outside of the box without taking too large of a risk. When you, when you have people that have been there, done that on a very small scale, but in a very risky environment, like artists ha- often have to make choices that may not pan out or they may, and, then, and you have that sort of on-the-job experience of, of living a life of, of resilience, of figuring it out as you go, then when put into a, a room to make a decision for a community, having been in certain places on a micro level, you can lend a perspective that wasn't always there before. So I think... Uh, artists allow municipalities and, and decision-making situations to to be outside of the box in a way that, that was never before. You were telling us in the session earlier about how the art walk on Fridays yes, ma'am. evolved. Yeah. And I, I love that story because it really started as somebody's passion project. Yeah. His name, I remember his name, it's Gabe. Yeah, it's Gabe. Gabe, Gabe Gallegos in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Enchanted Pop-Ups. Shout out to Gabe. Yeah, Art Walk in Albuquerque. I mean, Art Walk around the nation is, it's a buzzword. It's a buzzword for a good reason, right? I think that it's a real thing. It's a tangible thing. It's a thing that communities can point at nationally. Um, and that's beautiful. I think like wherever, and I, I, I don't presume or profess to know where it all began, but whoever created the first art walk <laughs> that we now all hashtag kudos to them because yeah, art walk in Albuquerque has grown from something that was about a half dozen participants as far as venues and, 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 uh, business owners to more than two dozen now in Albuquerque in a little over a year, uh, started with, with the focus and vision of Gabe Gallegos who ran a solopreneur business who now has grown, I think, and has some community support and help, whether that be in the nonprofit realm with some of the folks that are supporting his aims uh, as they align and as their values align, or in a personal business realm where he's now grown a business that seems to be supporting itself and making some money, right, for him and others. I think uh, the the beauty of, of that is just seeing how um, sometimes our artists and makers just need their support, right? Like they don't, they don't need anything but belief, the power of people believing in them. Sure, there were some resources gifted or, or gained by Gabe and gifted his way by way of what 
seemed to be a proof of concept that he could provide, right? Like Gabe had a vision and it was very easy to see that there was, there was a strategy being taken that if you gave him some visibility and a little bit of resource, it was gonna grow and it did. So I think being a visionary and being somebody that believes in oneself to the degree of having some folks believe in you and then small amount of capital can go a long way. And so Gabe's a great example of that in Albuquerque. Yeah, and so the Art Walk is still happening? Art Walk happens every first Friday of the month in Albuquerque, New Mexico, even through your cold months, and I think that's interesting too. We had some folks visit from Oakland, California, and it's been probably almost six months, when we're, and we're walking the downtown area talking about Gabe. Gabe's somebody I use as an example. Alex Paramo's out there, Jeff Hertz, they helped with the Art Walk when the city engaged at the level that we did last year and they own their own solopreneur businesses as well. Uh, but when we had Oakland friends in town asking questions about the Art Walk, we were talking about it in the cold months and they were like, wow, it, it, it's gonna happen in December. And we're like, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it, all of the openings are in venues, right? So those are indoor spaces. We activate less of the streetscape because it's just cold outside, but there are still a few options along the way for folks to walk and see vendors and otherwise where it makes sense for those folks. Um, but Albuquerque is a very much like give up on it and it gives up on you kind of place in a way that I think um, speaks to the need for people to be resilient. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, it can make it hard for the performer, the organizer, the, the vendor from time to time to understand and a learning experience to understand that you kind of have to like duke it out, right? Like you have to endure the, the slower months to still be there, I think, in the warmer months for people to not think that you like went away. I think more consistency, like, like Art Walk has offered, like if you're doing it at a consistent clip over and over and over, it gives you the ability for when you want to take a break to back away and take a break from time to time. Um, but art is one of those things that I think most people are, are happy living a life of art if they're, if they're gifted the ability to do that, you know, every day of their lives. And so the art vendors and the artists in our world, I think, are used to working kind of all the time and working very hard. So. Um, it's a, a great marriage of hustle and, and beauty in, in the art walk and in the art realm in Albuquerque as well. Yeah. As somebody who offers classes, I, I totally understand that need to be to offer something consistently, mm -hmm. even on days when you, when you know you're just not going to get a lot of people. Yeah. In my case, sometimes I know I'm only going to get one person. Sure. But I need to be there for that one person because they need to know that that they have that Absolutely. when they, you know, when they need it and want it, so. Yeah, and I think that's just like, that's that comes down to at times the individual artists examining whether or not that's, what are they really in it for then, right? I've, I've as a performing artist, as a, as, a, as a spoken word artist, I've done shows for literally like two people that I knew yeah. Yeah. that came there as a couple yeah. on a day I like worked very hard to promote and was like, oh wow, now I'm performing for two of my closest friends and this is embarrassing. Um, but I didn't stop performing, right? Like that was literally probably like 15 years ago. So it's it, it, what what is the driving nature or driving force of that desire? And if that if that's like commerce, then art and commerce aren't always like in the same ship, you know. Um, and, and and that's hard. I get that. I get that as a craft vendor. You know, I I hosted or am hosting as I sit here in in my hometown. An, an, uh, was an empty storefront. I rented it from a private business owner personally for a week to then take people's like $40 a day to put their table in this room and try and sell their crafts at the balloon at, during the balloon fiesta in a part of our city called Old Town, which is kind of like 
if you come to Albuquerque, you probably hit Old Town as a tourist, right? So I rented a storefront, put down my own money as like, all right, I'm gonna rent this and then I'm gonna rent out space in it to these craft vendors for them to take a shot at making money. It's in waves, it's come in waves. Like I've gotten like, this is a great idea. It's been, it's really worked for me feedback and from some of, from like our budding craft vendors because I think it's an opportunity at exposure and what it's like and so, Taking a loss at a certain entry level is like, well, you expect to take a lump or two. And then from like some of our most experienced, it's like, this wasn't worth my time, right? And I get that because they're used to making more money in some of the spaces that they now entertain with their time. But I would argue, and I've kind of like pushed back a bit on the idea that like, it's the first time it's happened in Old Town like that. That's just been like self-organized by a group of artists. So you have to take what fits you and what doesn't and it's all investment and the risk is taken and I took a risk by putting money down on the space that I probably won't pay myself completely back for but that's like it's a, my my window into it was like I took a shot at something that that didn't exist in Old Town before that maybe I won't do next year but maybe somebody that does what I do will do it better um, so I feel like we've opened a door to the idea of a pop-up lease for 10 days in Old Town which never has existed before too right like Traditionally, a space where you rent for one to three to five to ten years, a storefront, not for ten days on a like short, albeit legal agreement that I signed on and paid for, you know. So the idea of even our property owners in Old Town thinking along the pop-up lines is neat. So, so you made that a thing. Ideally, we yeah, made it. Yeah, the ten-day ten lease. lease. You know, the ten-day okay. lease. The ten ten-day low impact, low low risk even low investment arguably on all sides involved kind of thing you know like maybe maybe somebody does that and then creates a package that's easier to market and, and more visible in the time that comes and so that brings me to my next question how is the city creating spaces for artists you know in the enabling it sure yeah i think in 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 the talk about placemaking i said that we're trying but in certain instances we failed and then in other ones we've been successful in identifying or helping artists to identify what they don't need and i think all of that is is progress right like i think when you're not trying it's you're you're completely failing when you're trying or you're shooting and you're missing you're getting a better idea of where it is that you can shoot and and hit the target and so um I think public-private partnership is incredibly important and the city is continually looking at opportunities to see where our private business owners or otherwise are, are interested in the idea of partnering with the creative economy and supporting them in a way that makes sense for them. The city itself has developed an office outside of City Hall, outside of itself, to serve small businesses and micro-businesses. Putting it on a literal street corner instead of like in City Hall, I think, it's just a really intentional thing that I hope works out for the city of Albuquerque. Uh, it's a little bit more inviting, in my opinion, to just be like on street level as a small business office that folks can walk through and ask a couple of questions to. Ideally, your non-traditional business folks, your less than 50 employees type of thing. Because, yeah, I think the, in creation of space, I think we really do have to like, and I think there's an intentional aim at looking at case by case, case study style stuff. Now, is it, is it? advantageous for either any side involved to like sit and answer somebody's questions about their business plan for hours on end no not necessarily right how do we create an office though that that can be a hub for opportunity and support and information and again hosting stakeholding organizations for um, workshop style meetings or otherwise right becoming a place where po folks who have a resource to deliver to deliver said resource so 
if you need AV, a room, time, a place to like send people, right? A physical address and you don't have any of that. Or maybe you do and you're in what would be Albuquerque's South Valley, but you want to make sure that people in downtown have access to you while well, we can provide that. Um, being right downtown, we're, we're arguably accessible to all points of the city, even by bus route, particularly by bus route, um, located just like a block away from our, our transit center in Albuquerque. Uh, we provide, I think, now an opportunity um, to answer some questions in terms of how do we serve uh, folks in place and space. You know, and then and, and there, there are now rumblings. There are now rumblings sitting where I sit and talking to private uh, property owners about how do we better serve people like there's there's just there's a lot of empty space is that like a price per square foot problem arguably in my opinion yes um, is that like a lease and terms problem arguably in my opinion yes um, you know is is that an insurance and uh, all this legal jargon I don't understand as an artist or a maker and but I want space but I don't know if I should sign this document kind of problem arguably yes and I think that we're starting to put eyes and light on those situations. Like I think everybody involved in this, there's a lot of empty space discussion is realizing, well, maybe there's seemingly a lot of risk or red tape to people that would fill that space. And if we can clear up some of the misconceptions, we can answer some of the questions and or like shorten some of the terms and lower some of the prices, maybe those spaces start to fill themselves. We're turning a crew, uh, like a cruise ship though. You know, we're not on a jet ski here, so. It's it's certainly a long game. We're running a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you the ombudsman? Are you like the go-to person for the artist who doesn't know who to contact in city hall to apply for a permit or uh, get a license for something? I don't assume myself to be that sole artist. That's what's in in particularly special about this administration. Uh, incredibly unique about Albuquerque as a city is that Albuquerque per capita, I would argue, has the most artists in any city compared to any other city in the nation. Like, I'd, I'd bet a paycheck on it. I really would. Uh, the amount of artists in Albuquerque is impressive. It's incredible. Across genres and of art, some are, you know, multi-modality artists. Um, so, so we just, we have a huge population of, of creative people. Um, and so not coincidentally, because the, the, we have very highly skilled artists as well, like not only in their craft, but in other realms. So, so masterfully and strategically, in my opinion, this administration has put quite a few artists in roles at the city, uh, whether they be directors or department level, division level workers that are in, in some place or space that makes sense for them in pushing our communities forward. Um, so I am one of those folks. Yeah, I would, and, and that's what I think is so great about it, right? Like, I'm not the only guy that our community has access to on our artistic front. There are a number of different people that look radically different than I, but are still artists um, that hold space at the city in some official capacity that a friend and uh, that they hold friends and community that could call them and say, hey, I have this problem, this issue, this question. Who do I go to at the city to answer it? Is there anything that's being allowed in the city now that wasn't allowed before? You know, Some of the artists were brought in. Sure. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I couldn't answer that question in this. I'll answer that question in saying that, you know, one of, one of the tenets of this administration is not to say, 
oh, well, in prior administrations, they didn't do X or they did Y or they did this or that. You know, any era of leadership obviously has its own goals and its own guideposts of what they were aiming to get done and do and how they wanted to do it. Um, so I wouldn't say necessarily that there's things happening now that never happened before or are allowed to happen dif- radically different. I would just say that in Albuquerque, the last decade has led us to a moment that we're in now that I think is ripe for opportunity and thinking outside the box. And in, in being strategic about the choices we make and the risks we take, but being believing in ourselves to be able to take those risks and make those choices. You know, to, to rapidly experiment with things and then pivot when things do or don't work out in a way that may be the most beneficial way for all parties involved. I think that just we're looking at things in a way that is aiming to get some results. So it's a very results driven, a very like problem, pitch a solution, act on a solution driven situation right now. We're in a moment in Albuquerque where real issues are being confronted with action, with the aim to get results. And when we can identify or analyze that situation and decide whether or not the desired results have produced themselves or we've produced the desired result, uh, we continue to move with some desire to see those results. Um, so whatever that may be, whether that's starting all over, going a different way or continue, continuing down the path that we created, but at all, at all points in the, in, in, in the effort we're looking at, how are we doing this? Are we getting it done most efficiently and effectively? On it. And if not, who needs to be at the table or in the room to make sure that happens? Um, so yeah, I, mean, I don't know if it's different. Uh, it's certainly hope-filled, I tell people all the time. I've been with this administration for the last two years. It's not necessarily a, a career path that I think any one person finds themselves on unless they're like a political science major, <laughs> you know? Um, so like, did I come at it in a linear nature? Not at all. Um, am I happy to be here? Definitely, because every day I wake up, it feels like it's it's hopeful and real substantive work that's happening in the city of Albuquerque. So uh, what did you major? I majored in English, uh, English with a focus in liberal arts, which I joke meant that there was no focus whatsoever. Like I did a lot of writing and, and, and quite my, my fair share of reading um, for that liberal arts focused degree in English. Um, I had a minor in sociology, so kind of just the way that people think and the way that, that thought produces different populations of people in space and uh, and I'm a snail tail away from American Studies Masters at the University of New Mexico so I took a little hiatus from from school once I accepted this job but I got a couple of classes left to finish up a master's degree in American Studies. Oh fantastic good luck with that. Yeah yeah <laughs> I kind of need it so thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a visual artist too. I am. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm surprised that you majored in English with a minor in sociology. Yeah. Expecting to hear you say that you majored in fine arts. Some sort of fine arts degree. Yeah. You know, I've never been like, of the fine art nature of art, I guess, is probably why I didn't major in, in, in have, a, have some sort of fine arts focus or arts degree. And that's said to say that like painting and visual art was always like a... I'm a performance artist and a writer, right? So a performance poet. And so that was always about precision to me and like getting a point across and, you know, when it was performance and, and competition, it was three minutes or less. And it was all focused on having something to say, saying it in a way that was impactful and getting off the stage, you know, and don't make a mistake while you're up there. And so that was my precision and my, my fine art almost, so to speak. But um, visual art has grown for me in a way that I just had a, a, I have a three and a half year old daughter. So I had a child three and a half years ago or, or my my part, my former partner did anyway, 
Um, and we've, and I've been raising this kid for three and a half years and it's, it's really adjusted the way that my time is allowable to be quite honest and real. And, uh, and so I was joking with an individual this morning about how my artistic life is more facilitated in my kitchen with my studio that's set up in my loft department, um, than it is being on a stage after hours in any one evening, you know, and, and it, it, and visual art is, is a place where I can make mistakes. And a lot of what I do is very abstract. So it's. It's kind of as, as hippie or quirky or crazy as it seems or sounds like my paintings kind of speak to how they want to be. Like they, they choose the emotion and, and, and craft behind them and the story that comes with them. When I aim to sell something, it has a title and a story behind it. And it's kind of produced itself as I kind of like let that happen. So it's, it's a very cathartic experience for me to paint. Um, it's one that's been transformative in my life in the last four years. My life has changed very much from the birth of my daughter to now our like co-parenting situation I have. Um, she paints with me, so it's kind of a cool thing we do collaboratively together. Like some of our work is collaborative in nature. She also paints on her own and I do on my own. Um, but it, it's created like a little hustle for us, a little place where we have common ground and space and, and something I don't have to take incredibly seriously. So, and then it's just been, it's been cool. Like it's been very well embraced, so like, I found a market for my visual art that my performance art didn't always make, right? I make more money uh, selling paintings than I kind of ever did as a poet. So, especially with the lack of free time in your normal course of your working day, I used to do a lot of performance and speaking engagements and bill for them. Uh, but now I have a job that I work 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday. So doing a school gig is near impossible. But hanging a piece of art for sale in a local coffee shop for a few hundred bucks and they sell on occasion is not impossible and so yeah flipping the commerce into a realm that can make me money while I'm at work is has been a real thing for me in the visual art realm. I can only imagine that there are so many others like you uh, who have found a way to incorporate raising their children into their art making and we just don't ever talk about that. Yeah. Do, do we? You, you don't. Know, uh -uh. We're supposed to, in this culture, we're supposed to keep things separated. And, and yet, raising a child is the most important and, yeah. and natural thing that any, any one of us can do. You know, the interesting and funny thing about that is, is my daughter at home, her name's Frankie. I call her Pete. She's the little girl with two boys' names. But, you know, in her first year of life, daily I took a picture of her and posted it as like days one through 365 of raising her for the first year and had some sort of caption and I shared them primarily on my Facebook page and so and now she's three and a half and in the last two and a half years that's kind of maintained itself as a practice not every day but you know like every few days or now these days it's like every day that I have her overnight or whatever and so sometimes it's a video of her painting or us doing a certain something and what's funny about that is my life is completely undividable from itself so I work for, uh, you know, a, 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 I'm a, I hold an official capacity for the mayor, but I'm also this painting artist poet that you see hosting a variety show at a local brewery who, like when I'm not doing that, I'm posting pictures, painting with my daughter. And all of those things to me are very inseparable. Yeah. Um, and so I don't like as, as simple as it sounds or, or silly as it sounds like I don't even dress the part in any one of those realms, right? Like I wear the t-shirt to work and the hat to work that I pick my kid up in, that I host a brewery show in, because like, I, it's all indivisible and inseparable for me. Mm -hmm. um, 
and living that life as honestly as possible and as real as possible and even like as vulnerable in the space and nature of things like splitting from from a partner and being a very public and visible figure and and going through that transformation in the last year has been interesting it's not always comfortable um but i feel like holding that space and just holding that line of like that's who i am and you get it all is a, is a comfortable place for like residents to meet me at you know because then like i don't i arguably in in my opinion don't feel like unapproachable so when you catch me at an event or you catch me with a question as the, you know, one of the artists that you can go to at the city that has a question about an answer about your particular problem, issue or concern, I feel approachable in that manner, I would think, because I'm human, right? Like, right. So, yeah, we don't we don't show our like human self yeah. because we need to be that artist self or that official capacity badge wearing self, whatever that that badger hat is. And so I, I just don't I don't prescribe to those things. I can't. Yeah. I don't have the time or energy for it. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is really interesting because when, when I think back to my solopreneur days, sure. which are over, yeah. I think about how one of the things I loved about it was that I felt like I could just be who I am and not hide anything, not compartmentalize. I admire that. I admire that in people. I think that this administration has embraced that in, in a lot of its workforce, you know what? I feel like on Tuesday morning, she went with me to uh, to work, which is on like the 11th floor, which is like the the 11th floor, right? Like in quotes, it's the mayor's mayor's floor and, and sat in a meeting of like all the directors on that floor and staff on that floor about certain things. And because I didn't have not, because she w needed to be with me and that's where she was safest. And that's where, where I had time and space for her that day. And she sat there very quietly and didn't, didn't bother anybody, but it, she, it wasn't like she, like I didn't feel like she wasn't allowed in that room to even be able to bring her there, right? Like I didn't phone in because my kid wasn't appropriate to be in the room. Like yeah. people said hi to her and talk to her and whatever before our meeting started because they want me to feel comfortable in that space. And so I think it's, it behooves our, uh, our elected officials, our, our, our institutions where it's appropriate and allowable to, to allow children to be in that space. I think they learn a little something in it and then and I never apologize for it anymore and then even the, the the professional dress and whatever question I think is funny it's been pointed out a number of times I end up on TV for this administration from time to time and there's been some commentary from either side of the fence about the guy who's in a in a flat brimmed hat and a t-shirt with all the tattoos representing an official <laughs> office and and I think if it's making people uncomfortable then it's something to talk about and it's in and we're a society in a time ripe for that conversation you know and I think that you know from the 60s forward there was this this there's been a conversation about the contents of people's character not the color or look of their skin uh, I think that extends anymore to the to the presentation of their dress and otherwise in a contemporary moment so it's about a job I can get done and 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 the content of the character the person I am to this administration and I respect that very much so I appreciate the space and time they've allowed for me to be myself and not have to put the suit and tie on to to get a job done yeah, even if you did put a suit and tie on, you still have tattoos on your hands. On my hands, yeah. You know, my mom said that I could wear gloves. You know, my mom used to always like, just kind of shake her head and be like, well, I guess you could wear a t-shirt. I guess you could wear long sleeves. And the day I came home with my knuckles and hands done, it was like, well, I guess you can put on gloves, you know? So yeah, there's no turning back. And I mean, honestly, if I put a suit on, it'd probably be like a brightly colored suit anyway, so. <laughs> So how did you end up working for the city? How did that 
How did that happen? Um, you know, Albuquerque is a city I was born and raised in, so I think I, I'd like to say it, it, you know, it really happened by gradual progression of something that was meant to happen. You know, I love my city, and as, as somebody that's been a performance artist and an act, art activist and an org, community organizer for years, I've always been about, you know, we have these buzzwords like equity, inclusion, diversity, and they only mean something if you make them mean something. And I feel like I've been about, and there are a number of people, I'm not just tooting my own horn, there's, there's a number of me in my city there's, that do it different or better or, or you know, the, the, the things we're aiming to get accomplished there in Albuquerque. But um, I've been about that work for a long time. And always just trying to gather capacity and, 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 and buy in, in in a common, like in a forward moving progressive direction and progressive not meaning political. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that that has just been in the works. You know, I think to fast track that I was a Kellogg fellow uh, in, a, in a cohort of New Mexicans. There were 24 of us. Some of them are state representatives. Uh, Mayor Keller went on to be our state auditor after he was a fellow in that fellowship. Uh, that's where I met him. A number of folks have gone on to lead organizations or get involved in some sort of state politics from that cohort of, of 24 that was 120 nationally for Kellogg. So that's where I met Mayor Keller. Uh, in some of those rooms, uh, Mayor Keller just shined as being somebody who was aware of what his ability, skill set, just strategy, strategic thinking, and, and, and base of knowledge for community building is and was. And then incredibly humble and, and, in my opinion, a visionary in identifying where space and place needed to be held by other people, where the expertise of artists shined, where the expertise and, and thoughtfulness and practices of professional mothers, right? Like people in the workspace that were raising children for our indigenous and native communities, what that looked like in a rural context versus a, a, a city context New Mexico Albuquerque is as, as as city as it gets and then we're surrounded by a whole lot of rural and what does that look like what does it look like for the city that's not this capital of a state to be the economic driver of a state arguably in so many ways right with Santa Fe just to our north and how does how does that have to like be a, a, a mutually beneficial and, and kind relationship as arguably the two metropolitan centers of, a, of an entire state and so yeah, I don't, Mayor Keller emerged as, as one of the leaders in those rooms, and we, we got to be acquaintances of sorts, and then he went on for a, a successful run to be our state auditor. He left that office to run for mayor, obviously a su- successful campaign to get elected as mayor, and then my job was created in his office uh, to do some of the things that we're aiming to do for the city of Albuquerque. So it's been fun and, and serendipitous in some senses. Sometimes it's felt like it was just a... Uh, a long time in the making and, and it's been like something I've, I've taken great respect and gratefulness for to be in the role I'm in with the like wherewithal and awareness that it's got a finite timeline you know so um, what do I do after this I don't know uh, what does Mayor Keller do he probably runs for another term uh, we think that's on the horizon and then I don't know I don't you know I don't have those conversations with <laughs> with my boss I do my job and so I don't know exactly what the future holds I hope that it holds six more years for the people of Albuquerque trusting us to get a job done and doing a good job and, and serving all of those that need it most. And then we'll see see where this, this train goes. And you've been in the job uh, fewer than two years? About 18 months, yeah. So I joined him about six months into his, his uh, term, I would say, give or take, do the math. But yeah, um, just short of two. He's been there for two years. I've been there for the majority of those two years, about 18 months or so. 
You were talking in your session about Albuquerque's unique art. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Yeah, no, Albuquerque is... Um, you know, I think like I, I don't want to I don't want to give it the label of, of a lowbrow art city in the sense of it of it having any kind of negative connotation by any means. Street art would be a good term for it too. I think we're I I refer to us as a pop up city all the time because we are very visually like visual art and visually art inclined. There are a number of visual artists uh, doing art that is like is consumable though. You know, so not only art on canvas but art on a number of surfaces and then art art as apparel i would i would like even beg like to 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 put in there there are a few sort of lifestyle-y brands in albuquerque that if you're a local you you certainly are a, a patron of say like an alchola brand which is like an apparel brand that has colloquialisms that albuquerque residents or burkenos often use just slap on the back of a of a of a jacket or in a hat or on a t-shirt or a sticker so there are some lifestyle brands that I would like even include in the visual art realm of what Albuquerque does. But we are a very consumable art community. And so, you know, there's not a day I'm trying to think, well, yeah, these are these are locally made, that I don't really leave my house with something that's not locally made, right? Like whether that's a piece of apparel or an accessory of some sort. Um, you can go to a handful of, of local coffee shops, diners, breweries, or the like on any given day, and there's not just that business being conducted, but some sort of craft vending happening in the building by somebody that is renting space or taking up space for a particular cause, need, or aim, fundraiser, or micro-business, albeit, and, and selling their stuff. And so Albuquerque is certainly uh, unique in that fashion. And, and pumps out like people you would know about around the world. Mike Giants from Albuquerque. I want to say Frank Gonzalez, but that could be wrong. Um, but Mike Giant is certainly from Albuquerque, somebody everybody would know in, in the artistic realm. And there's a, a, another handful to point out that are just on a national or, or global scale doing some amazing things. And what about beer? Beer. <laughs> oh man, I love beer. I, I, and, and I joked about like, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not, it's not promoting the, the consumption of alcohol in my, you know, from where I talk about my love for that craft community in Albuquerque. It's so much, it's about so much more than that. And so for me in, in Albuquerque, the, the craft brewing industry now coming up on, I wouldn't say it's on its heels, but following suit is, is the distilling industry. So craft spirits in Albuquerque are happening. The coffee industry, like the, I, I joke that the brewing industry is not just beer anymore, it's coffee too. And then chocolate is like in the conversation now too. So all these craft, handcrafted, you know, whether they be food or beverage things and particularly beer and coffee or spirits in Albuquerque are a big thing because they're, they're also a job creator, you know? So like you open a brewery, it's just like opening a restaurant. You have front and back a house and you have, um, you know, our biggest ones, Marble Brewery in, in Albuquerque, La Cumbre Brewing in Albuquerque with offshoots from people that have come through that lineage of those two businesses on a world scale. Great American Beer Fest just brought home a bunch of medals, you know, and so it's, it's the land of, of beer because it does beer very well. It's not just like, oh, people found a business model that, that you know, while everybody drinks, no, it's, it's become, a booming industry and so what like seven years ago or so there were about five big names right and there were a couple dozen that were like popping up now there's still like about those five big names and those names change as people are like trying to, to continue to gain or hold a foothold in the in the brewing conversation in albuquerque because there are 45 of them in the city and what that's forced is is kind of diversifying your approach to being a successful business in the brewing industry and that just continues to add workforce 
So what does that mean? That means, okay, well, we're gonna do distribution very well. Like we are gonna brew to, sure we want tap rooms, but we wanna spread like, you know, marble and lacumbre, particularly in Bosque Brewing in Albuquerque, have larger distribution contracts that put them across state lines in different areas. Whereas some of our, our smaller breweries are only selling off the tap in the city. And so what is your business model? Is it to distribute regionally or nationally? Is it to, uh, you know, Tractor Brewing that I used to work for in town, arguably some of their business model has to do with supporting nonprofits in art, right? Like are they, they are very heavily art engaged and do a whole lot of pop-up beer vending around the city to support different awareness events and art events. And so that's kind of their shtick. And uh, Nexus Brewing is like known for their food and is actually the, was the first and maybe is still the only African-American owned brewery in Albuquerque. Targeting neighborhoods with specific de demographics, having different hours and leaning heavily on food while well, they improve their beer and now both match really well. And so whatever your aim is, I feel like, you know, the, the, the craft brewing industry and now the distilling industry are starting to like carve out a niche. Instead of just being your brewery, your run of the mill brewery, what's the niche you can carve out and how are you doing something different? And, and again, that just speaks to like, then it's creating space for creative people to have real jobs that are paying decent wages and, and still have some say, right? Like you, you become part of a small business that has probably still less than 50 employees. And so you're, your opinion is valued, your expertise is utilized, You're, you feel feel useful in a company and that does a, a number of things. And you consider, and, and craft brewing, of course, is an art form. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it absolutely is. I think, but I made the, the point in the statement that I think just about any one thing that somebody can identify in their own lives that they love to do is really just their art and like them doing that something that they love to do is them doing their best art. It's been eight months since we had our uh, 2019 West Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit in Albuquerque. Has that event made an impact in the city? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think anything that we do that is arts engagement focused, it certainly leaves a ripple effect on, on what is the landscape of Albuquerque. You know, I think that you not think I know that a daily uh, in the context of, of progress and change, art is always a part of the discussion in Albuquerque. So anytime you amplify that discussion, it certainly has an impact. Our cultural services department at the city of Albuquerque is identifying ways where community groups can, can hold, host and hold events with city support and city spaces while saying like, you know, putting out a call for saying, well, what is it that you need? What are the resources that we can best lend to the situation if you have organizational capacity, right? So we don't want to plan the events. We don't necessarily want to bankroll the entire thing, but what are like some big pieces of the pie that we can come to the table with to say, if you have these things, then how do you organize around them and activate public space in a partnership with the city? Some of that work is happening. There's a, a, a program called Tipping Points in Albuquerque, again, through Cultural Services Department and Economic Development that's asked well, ask artists in an, in an outright fashion, like an open call for their responses, uh, assuming we'd get less than 100 or they'd get less than 100 responses and got over five about what is their tipping point? What is that one thing that if they had that support would kind of usher them over the edge into a sustainable business model or into a foundational place where they can then build from based on those responses and in aligning fa fashion, we've opened that small business office to say, okay, well now, Here's a place to continue that conversation. 
here's a continue and here's a hub for to, 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 to be sort of a conduit or a meeting place or a, some sort of resource to, to continue those conversations to try and deliver some of those tipping point or tipping point worthy uh, resources. So it's a long game. It's, ne- it's, a, it's one that's never over, you know? And so I, when we're talking about creative placemaking just as a thing, it's one of those things I don't think you even define because it continually redefines itself. And is is you could have some overarching thoughts and ideas about what it is and certainly some guideposts and structure to what it is and isn't. But I think it's even subjective to the communities that it exists in. So like what do, what do those communities in particular need? And then how do you best serve them? And so when you welcome that conversation to any community from particularly folks that aren't from there, I think you start to look at uh, Albuquerque as thanks to this summit happening there or one of these summits happening there has identified some things that we didn't even, we weren't aware of before our visitors came to identify them for us or help us to think outside that box. Such as? Well, I just think some of the things that, that we've pointed at, right? Like I think there, there was thoughtfulness and, and strategy behind what we might do to support artists. But I think that, that the summit itself has helped to refine, refine some of those, those things or, or, or confirm that the directions that, that folks were, that were headed in at the city were like, okay, yeah, that makes sense for us, right? Or let's pull that back. So I think what you're seeing too, particularly in, in the session, we talked about private partnerships and public-private partnerships being more open on both sides. So what does that look like? Like, okay, maybe that means there that the, short, the lease terms on vacant spaces need to be way shorter term. Um, maybe the prices need to come down a little bit, but how do we subsidize those situations? Or what does that look like for, in public-private partnership? What can, what can we give to, to a private business owner in, in order to, for them to not want to recoup, recoup a loss on the end of an entirely empty space, but not, but not get full dollar for their space? Like, what does that conversation look like? And I think it's starting to open in the lines of communication in those directions. Yeah, yeah. I love that you talked a lot about collaboration and, you know, inviting public officials, elected officials to meetings and, you know, in- inviting not the, not always the usual suspects. Yeah, I think we can get very used to and, and even almost confused at the thought or idea that people don't care. You know, you can get very jaded and, and stuck in, a, yeah. in an idea of, oh, well, they don't, why, why am I going to, like, I don't need more lip service. And I, I made the point that, like, you know, working inside of a, of a municipality, I, I, I'm very aware of the fact that it's not, it's not lip service. It's, and, you know, in, in certain situations, education is needed at, at that level of leadership to, to, to identify ways in which the largest entities and institutions can really help. And so without an invitation, you never get a conversation. And I think that oftentimes I even talked about, you know, I mean, I feel like a lot of our aims and, and ideas and goals align with a good population, and you know, a good percentage of the population in our city. They don't always line up. But I think even when, you're, when you're, your values or your opinions or whatever don't always align, I think there's still opportunity for an invitation, invitation to, to space and an event, uh, a cause, uh, whatever it may be. Because even if you don't get the person that you think you're going to get and that often sometimes is the person you, you don't personally align with, they might send a representative and that's opportunity for a conversation that's even less uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? And so I don't know. I just think, uh, you know, more, more conversation in space and time needs to happen. We're such a digital reactive world that, um, yes. that we kind of like, we, we pick a side of the fence and we stay on that side of the fence and behind a keyboard. And, and I invite, I invite both sides outside from behind, uh, out from beyond those keyboards and into public space to have a conversation. And I think art does that very well. 
yeah. you know and so i think creative placemaking our events and engagement through that lens create perfect space for those conversations yeah yeah one one of the things i love about serving this field is that you're building civil society sure yeah yeah we, I've, for years i ran writing workshops and performance workshops with kids and you know, the the product was in the process. The the aim was not to make anybody, you know, it happened at times, a better writer, a better performer in that month long. I think that arguably happened for most of them, but the reality of it was, was like to, to get them to care about someone than, other than themselves, to, to get them to look at the world around them a little bit differently, to build a little bit more well-rounded human uh, walking out of that room than walked in that room. And better is maybe even the wrong word, just different, right? More exposed, more vulnerable, more open-minded. Just just somebody that, that, that took a, a, a moment to breathe and think and look at things a little bit differently. And what are you hoping people will take away from your workshop that just happened? Yeah, I, I hope like, A, I hope it was like, I always hate when I look at like the title and then I go to something and I'm like, that didn't do it. Like that, the title didn't match that at all. <laughs> so, so hopefully they like felt like it really was an intro to creative placemaking. You know, I, I, these, these summits have been fruitful for me in, in identifying in many ways some of the things I wondered about or felt like I had an idea of or like, or even like a good opinion about, right? Like, or an answer to. They've like, like they've given me those keywords. So I flipped through the, the, you know, the, the PowerPoint that was, was that I utilized to present. And in many ways, like those were keywords for me that, that of work that I feel like I've done for 15 years, but it's now part of a vocabulary and a teachable sort of curriculum of sorts for community organizers, artists, activists, and, and the like. And so I hope folks just felt comfortable in that space. Like I, you know, I, and so many, when I started at the, at the mayor's office, I had a rule where like somebody mentioned an acronym more than three times and I couldn't figure it out. By the third time, I'd stop them and be like, okay, I haven't been here for 15 years. What is the blah, 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 blah right? Yeah. What is the, the acronym you keep spitting out like I should know it like the back of my hand? Um, I just, I made it a rule for me to have to like own up to the fact that I didn't know it. And so I feel like these are summits and things, leadership programs and they're all very useful if we can also remove ourselves from the jargon of it all and understand that we came to there with a set a skill set that allowed us to be in that room I, I hope that anybody could have got up and been like well i knew that ideally hopefully you didn't use some of the, know some of that and you could have taught it to everybody else in the room too because that's where real capacity and power is right is where we're, we're we're taking like accessible information utilizable information adaptable applicable applicable information straight home like, yeah. We're going from here to Dayton and we're going to talk about X or Y. Like what's the micro business on the block that has an idea that maybe City Hall will listen to now? You know, like what is the actionable thing? Like I hope they, they took home a thought that they could be like, all right, I know somebody in, in my community that owns a building that might let us use that space. Or, okay, I pop. A, we've been wanting to do music festival for years and maybe it's not music. Maybe it's wheat. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's <laughs> Hutch Fest. You know, like what do we do well? Yeah. Um, you know, so like, what is it? Yeah, maybe it's a barbecue festival, you know, like whatever that something is. So yeah, maybe they took, were, you know, energized and enthusiastic about something they already felt like they knew a lot about and then, and then motivated to figure it out for their own communities. I feel that in the case of your session, the title, the title was so much more boring 
than what it turned out to be. Yeah. So, yeah, so hopefully people were pleasantly surprised when they went, what did we call it? Um, creative placemaking one-on-one? Yeah, like an introduction, an introduction, yeah. introduction to creative placemaking. Which I think is fair and safe, though, because, it, I mean, I really just kind of tried to talk through the tenants and the guideposts and keywords and then, like, relate them to things and, and have a conversation. And so hopefully it was... It was a place where folks didn't feel like there needed to be a precursor, right? Because that's yeah. that's always hard. Like, you get into some, and that's why, I mean, I think I was asked if I wanted to change it. And dressing it up too much, I think, feels like then, then what if you didn't get what you were sold, right? Like, at least if it were simple and approachable and, and you were pleasantly surprised, then it didn't feel like it was a, a swing and a miss, you know? So Yeah. That's a good way of, way to put it. It was definitely approachable and accessible and not intimidating. Word. Yeah. That's what I aim to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you yeah, so much. Of course. Thank you. And I, I can't wait to get back to Albuquerque. I have to say, it's one of the best trips that I've that I've ever taken. Cool. I felt so welcomed in, in Albuquerque. It's that kind of space, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I tell people all the time, it's like the place that, like... We hosted a National Poetry Slam in 05, and uh, I had some friends uh, of a guy that was living, a family with a guy that was living with me, and I like lent them my car, and they were hanging out, and they were like, this is such a crazy place. Like, you, you go to a place, and I've known you for a week, and I'm driving your car around, and I have a key to your house, and I'm like, I don't know, man, it's just, it's just the way it is there, you know? Um, it's, it's a very, like, you come in, here's your seat at the table, do you, what do you need, how can we help you kind of place. Just very cool. Yeah, it's a very cool space. <laughs> Well, cool. Thank you. You've been listening to Creative Place, produced by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. Do you have a topic you'd like us to cover? Let us know. Find us at cpcommunities.org. Bye for now.